You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome back to Consolidate That, Ivan. I'm so excited for this episode that we've got today. We are doing one of our first dives into Galaxy Vets by bringing in a very, very special guest from inside the organization. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest and we can dive into it. So really excited about our today's guests. Uh, today we have Dr. Katnachi, who is our head of people and culture and who arguably is the real doctor, as she claims, as opposed to veterinarians. That's a joke. We just have an ongoing She's like a, she works for Peloton as well, I guess, right? <laughs> if you are, yes. So in Peloton, you can be recognized as a doctor if you're a PhD in psychology. So... Lauren earned her PhD in social organizational psychology and master degrees in organizational psychology from Columbia University. During this time, she studied generational differences in the workplace, uh, women in leadership, and wrote a dissertation on combined effects, learning agility, and psychologically safe climate on performance. She taught various psychology courses to undergraduate, graduate, business school students, and military leaders with the emphasis on applying theory into practice. She was an external consultant with small, mid-sized business organizations, particularly focused on leadership development and culture change. She worked internally at Gartner as a part of the Leadership and Organizational Effectiveness Center of Excellence, where she partnered with the leaders in assessing capability and developing succession plans for senior leadership. She has an extensive experience with group and team dynamics and performance, and she regularly serves on staff in group relations conferences to help leaders across the world. Lauren, very impressive background, and that's why you joined us. Thank you for finding the time. Thank you for joining us for the show. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Why don't we start with how did you join Galaxy? Why are you here? How did you decide to go into the perfect question? Veterinary domain with all that background, there's no veterinary. So how did you end up here? Well, it's been a passion of mine to intersect organizational psychology with veterinary medicine for years now. And prior to the pandemic or right around the time of the pandemic, I started my own consulting firm. And it was doing really well, but I realized that my passion was really missing and I really wanted that opportunity to, to go out and see how I could personally connect organizational psychology with veterinary medicine. There aren't really a lot of case studies in my field that use veterinary medicine. I don't know anyone from with my training who's ever gone into veterinary medicine. So it did feel a little bit like a black box. But I went on LinkedIn, I followed a bunch of consolidators, I followed a bunch of veterinary groups, and came across veterinary integration solutions and, <laughs> and saw the great work that you all were doing. And I reached out and asked that question, how do we, how do we bring organizational psychology into veterinary medicine for the better to, to really help mitigate and reduce the burnout that is paramount in the industry right now. So can you dumb down for me what organizational psychology is? Yes. So organizational psychology is the study of people in their actual organization. So we look at the individual, the group, and the team, 
and apply common psychological theories and principles into the workplace. So a lot of the early theory in psychology wasn't adapted or wasn't created with the organization in mind. So organizational psychology takes those theories and applies them into the workplace. Very cool. So am I correct to to say that this is something about the culture and how the culture is built and how that influences the organizations? That's one way in which we look at or one perspective that we take in organizational psychology and one of my focuses. So I really like looking at the workplace issues from the group and the organizational level. And the key kind of focus at the organizational level is culture. So culture, culture, culture. Everybody says culture. Every podcast you listen in Visionary Domain right now is all about culture. It's this sort of buzzword that uh, everybody wants to say. Everybody has a different understanding. I thought culture is how do you behave? Are you polite? Do you swear? And stuff like that. Then another thing is... I've done this course on M&A at Harvard, and they were talking that's during the merge and acquisition. That's actually how do you do stuff here? And it's what's the process and how do you not do stuff here? And then you read other books and it's culture, it's your core values, mission, vision, statement. What is it from your professional understanding? And what is, if someone would ask you and say, what is culture? How would you answer that in two, three simple sentences? Very non-scientifically, I would say, as I've been taught, Culture is the way we do things around here. It's very simple and it's non-scientific. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack there, right? But behaviors, to your point, Ivan, are really are really at the crux of culture. We think about culture in terms of behaviors, but it really is about how we do things around here. How are decisions made? What are the processes that we follow? How do people show up to meetings? It's all of those things. Where's the difference then on... I guess, Ivan, you were talking about etiquette almost. And so part of it, I think. It, yeah. Is etiquette part of the culture? And is it, what is it sort of like how we think about what we do? Are there sort of like emotional triggers to it beyond just the doing, the actions of it? I think what you're getting at, which is absolutely part of culture, is norms. But norms are really behaviors, they're just agreed upon and the appropriate kind of behaviors. Um, in which we conduct ourselves in the organization. So with that, so we're at the young organization. I mean, we're well, we're 45 people young, but so we have a significant group of people. We're multicultural, we're, we're diverse, we're in different countries, and we're building our culture. I want to say, are we doing it right? But you're the head of culture, so I hope we are. But uh, how one would go about and build the culture? Because we're not thinking about this is not the first company I've built. To me, that's, you know, your core values, you establish them, they, then you need to cascade them. But how do you get to that sort of spread of the culture? And, um, and how do you scale that? That's the most important thing, because groups of hospitals, consolidators are very rapidly growing organizations. How do you build the company with the culture that you know that the next person that is hired, not directly by you, carries the same culture and select it through that filter into this culture. What is that sort of secret sauce to build a company with, not just with the specific culture, but how the culture that you have carried over? What are those instruments? So there's a lot to unpack there. So please feel free to, to follow up if I don't answer all of your questions at once. But so when I think about building culture, I always think that 
culture doesn't happen on accident. It's a very intentional type of practice. So you have to think about what's the end goal here that we're trying to create. So sometimes we hear about people wanting to have a culture of safety, a culture of creativity. That's a good starting point, right? Like what are, what are we kind of thinking about? And I think for us, it's the culture of kind of continuous improvement. So you think about that as the end goal. But then you back into that from core values. And I think we've done a lot of interesting work already at Galaxy Vets. And this is generally how I recommend starting to build a culture, being very intentional about your core values, because those are the foundation of the culture. It's what how we conduct ourselves. That is who we are. And so it's really important to kind of start with one, what's that end kind of goal that you have in mind about what your culture should be, but then what are the core values that help you get there. Second to that is actually identifying the behavior. So there might be some behaviors that are actually in core values, of course, that makes sense. But we want to get very, very specific about what a core value looks like in practice. Because like I said earlier, culture is really about behavior. So it's not just about the values that we hold that we and how we believe that work should be done. That's a component of it. But what are the behaviors that we actually need to, to see that reflect those core values? We did touch on these core values with Ryan, I think, in the past episode. But I want to, from your angle, so we developed these core values and we talked through them. Maybe I'll pick just one. And let's just talk about an example where through interview or through... An incident because we use traction, right? And that's why core values are so important because traction methodology assumes using your core values during the hiring, during review process, as well as during firing. And if you don't fit, you know, this is not the right person for this company. Not necessarily it's a bad person, but not the right person for this culture. So what would be an example of taking people? Is it during the interview that you would take them through it? Because I know that you're doing a cultural assessment of people when you hire them. And I, and I want to move like the cultural assessment of the clinic. I think that's, we'll talk about it later, but when you're actually hiring, we've hired so many people so fast in the last couple of weeks. So what is that process of, let's say, you know, just pick, pick one. If you have one that is like favorite, just pick one and tell us how do you take a person through sort of the framework and do you see their reaction? Do you ask them how they behave in it? What, is, what does happen in that culture assessment room with Lauren and candidate? Yeah. So let's just take founder's mindset, for example. It's personally one of my favorite. I really, it resonates a lot with me. And so what you think about is, okay, so you take that value and then you think about what we call behaviorally based interview questions. So we want to try and get indirectly at behaviors. We don't want to just say, you know, tell me about a time that you had a founder's mindset, right? So we want to think about, so what is a founder's mindset? And obviously we had the benefit of all being in the room around like what, what was actually involved in that. So there was, you know, kind of, we talked about grit, being able to roll up your sleeves. So then we would put that into a question where we would say something like, you know, tell me about a time when you were starting something from scratch, right? And it, it totally depended on you to, to take it to the finish line. What were the steps that you took? And what challenges did you did you run into? Like the, we we think about the question like that. So it's really important for us to figure out what behaviors. So we call founders mindset, and we have you know a definition for it. But what are those underlying behaviors? Because that's how we can get at actually assessing it in an interview. And then from there, just a little bit of a methodological thing, and just protecting ourselves about against bias. 
what you want to do is be able to have a scale. What, what, what does a one look like? A one response look like? Maybe this is somebody who kind of might show or demonstrate founder's mindset sometimes or not at all. And then you kind of want to have that progressive scale to the five where it's like clearly evident that this person has demonstrated and lives by this value. So we can actually assess whether, you know, is this somebody who's like a three? They're probably that plus minus um, on the value. Are they most of the time? Or this is like, this person lives this value. Awesome. So, so we then have, so now we have our core values established. And then I know that you're helping most leaders right now to hire because we're forming this core team, but this is then scalable. Is that something that you're going to teach all the other departments and everybody who is a hiring manager essentially will have a framework to, to uh, build around it or how does that work? Yeah. So I've done this before with clients very successfully. So as an external consultant, a lot of the, the processes that I develop are intended to hand off and, you know, I'm not going to be hired by a client just to do their cultural interviews. So we will have a process where people have several questions. So I gave you one right off the top of my head for Founders Mindset, but have several questions that can get at Founders Mindset that might be appropriate for the situation um, and allow uh, our leaders or our hiring managers to choose one of those. And they would have actual scales where they could go ahead and rate, you know, this person answered this question about four or five and use those to come up with a, a fair assessment. Is the culture something for people that is, you think can be sort of ingrained in them? Is it something that people can come in and out of being part of? Because I know we do the people analyzer, we do quarterly reviews, we look at every single month, we do something different internally within Galaxy Vets to, to really figure out where everyone is, whether it's from their manager, it's reviewing their manager, whether it's reviewing themselves. Do you find that if someone from day one or during the interview process aligns with the culture, that that's a good indication that they're going to be able to stick with that? Or is it something that people can come and go from it? There's so much there. So I think the first thing is that, look, no assessment is going to be perfect. That's why we are later going to, to have those kind of performance uh, evaluations to make sure people are still aligned. People show their best selves during an interview, so it's very possible that we didn't quite assess it perfectly. But I think there's an opportunity to reassess on values later on. But that being said, values, your values really shouldn't change over time. They are the most stable of the whole personality kind of picture. They're, they will stay most stable over time. And the culture evolves. So that's the, I think, could be a little bit tricky. So culture is, yes, very deeply ingrained. It's very, very hard to change. Generally, I mean, organizations move a lot faster than they did previously when we did early research on culture. The the estimate for changing culture used to be about five years. I'm sure organizations move a lot quicker now. It doesn't take as long, but you know there are going to be ways in which the culture changes. Somebody might not always be a good culture fit. They might change. Parts of their behavior might change that might make them no longer a good fit. Well, I, I like what you said about not changing culture in people because I did see and observe that firsthand and it was actually a trigger. So again, as I said, we use traction. So we hire people using those core values and then we review them. And every three months we have an automated process that goes on in the organization 
And then I remember in SmartFlow, one of the core values in several companies now that I've worked in was sense of humor. It's just because you can't, like, I don't think you can work if you don't have fun uh, working. Sense of humor, you know, you have to put the context to it. And I think it's not just, you know, being sarcastic, passively aggressive, funny. It's about more being able to laugh at yourself and just kind of move on rather than being too serious and upset about things. And um, and it was interesting because one person on, on the team was usually with a great sense of humor, always kind of fun, always easygoing. And then all of a sudden, just kind of became grumpy and a little bit like disconnected. So during one of these three months check-ins, um, I asked the question, I said, are you okay? And that particular one core value, because I, I noted that person to be a plus minus instead of plus as always and that was the point of conversation and the person said that that his mom was actually very sick uh, for a very long time so that uncover a completely different aspect because usually this person is with a great sense of humor but all of a sudden changed and you know the, based on what you said people don't change that much unless there's maybe some external factors so that was great because we could offer help support you know give extra time off so i seen it work that way and it was it was really great but um, from that, okay, we're building an organization where we're going to have multiple, multiple cultures mixing in, and that's the destiny of every consolidator. And then everybody keeps talking about it, you know, do the cultural assessment. Well, uh, you have an organization that built their culture over the course of five plus years, and now they have their culture. Now you're acquiring a hospital, you're bringing them in, and you have your culture. So... Probably step number one, how do you assess the culture of existing organization? And we have this new process that I haven't seen in other consolidators, stabilization period, where you're just really spending time actually on that topic. You're assessing the culture. But uh, what is that assessment and what does it look like to understand whether this clinic fits uh, or doesn't fit or there's certain people in it? Do they have same culture within them? And uh, can we change that? So what is what is your take on the sort of rapid roll-up uh, environment of merge and acquisitions and how to assess culture and then put it in perspective of what do you do with them after. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing to mention is that to think that each clinic is going to be a, you know, a, a carbon copy of our culture is not accurate. They're going to be, they're going to have their own unique context and their own unique. And I think that's great. That should be um, embraced. I think what we really want to make sure is there anything that's in their micro microculture that would conflict with the parent culture, our, our broader galaxy culture. So when I do culture assessments, I use this uh, three levels of analysis um, that was formulated by Edgar Schein. Um, it's, it's one of the just very, very, it's very basic in terms of being able to describe it. Um, but a lot goes on behind the, the scene. So the three levels are this, it's artifacts, values, and basic assumptions. And over the past, I'd say like decade or so, we've seen the, the way that it's likened is like a iceberg. So artifacts are these physical representations of the climate. Um, I like to think about them as what stands out. So when I do a cultural assessment using this framework, I go into to the location and I look around and just like what's standing out to me. So some examples of things that we talk about in terms of artifacts are, you know, the pictures that are on the wall, the badges that people wear, people's scrubs on their own. They're just pieces of data. 
but you have to note them so that you can interpret them in the larger context of the culture. So that's one piece. Then there's values, both values that are espoused. So what do we say that we're going to do and what's actually enacted in practice? And what you want to look for is whether those are aligned. So do we say what, do we do what we say we're going to do in practice? So when the rubber hits the road or the rubber meets the road, do we actually do what we say we're going to do? And I'm going to try and make basic assumptions as clear as possible. It's very, it's a much more of a unconscious psychological um, concept, but it's really about these taken for granted assumptions about why we act the way that we act um, in the organization. So, or put another way, like what does the organization actually exist to do? If you were to ask anybody on the floor, like what do they think about it unconsciously? And I'll give some examples. So with artifacts, for example, like I always think about, I had a job at a military installation training center um, early, early in my career. And they had uh, badges, obviously, but it makes sense, right? You're walking into a military installation. It's going to be a little bit secure and everybody has different levels of access. There were blue badges and there were brown badges. And these really denoted the actual, like the blue badges were people who had security clearance. They were the full-time employees. The brown badges were more of the contractors. But people were actually referred to in terms of blue badges can do this, brown badges can do that. So what you do is you take that data piece and you're like, all right, what's that actually saying about the culture here? Security is obviously very important. Who's in, who's out? That's a, a way that we can kind of think about what's manifesting in the culture and what are the implications of that? Where are the behaviors that we see that, that form in? I have a good example too about the values misalignment. I had a client once before um, that, it, that created a clinic to uh, basically to, to be patient first, to make sure that patients could always get in and see clients and uh, or to, to see uh, providers. And over the course of their, so that was actually espoused. It was on their, it was on their website. It was something that they were, felt very strongly about. But then they got into the practice of like, look, we just have to make money. So like double book, let's hire people to take those appointments as well. Like, so it became this issue of it wasn't really patient first at all. And then that kind of leads to the basic assumption piece. Like, so it feels like we're actually really all about money. Are we really trying to help people here? Or is it really just about how much money we're making? So that, that resonates with me so much that's, you know, with the, uh, with a lot of practices I worked in where it's like, oh, we're all about the customer and customer first and this and, you know, pa patient health outcomes, not the money. And then you're like, all right, well, there's three appointments booked into one slot onto one doctor. So do we or do we really care about the money? And it's, it's been all over the place. And, and the same with, with some consolidators where it's like, oh, we're all about, you know, improving veterinary medicine, making the life of veterinarians better. And then we need 100 clinics in 18 months. And no matter what, we need to acquire 100 clinics within 18 months. That's what we tell our investors. This is what we're talking about in the boardroom. This is what we're talking in the leadership uh, meeting. And then externally in this web 
webinar, we're talking about something else. And that's so misaligned. And that that sort of reminds me about a lot of stuff that we did on burnout. And one of the Maslow's classic uh, triggers for burnout is misalignment of core values. And that's exactly where it is. So I think that this is one of those reasons why our uh, culture is not right in a lot of hospitals when we're talking about either patient care first and other stuff, but it's all really about money. Um, and um, and you also mentioned an interesting thing about uh, sort of, you know, the titles and badges. I wonder if we are making fun of marketing department all the time. Does that matter if they, we're sort of suppressive to... That's our culture, though. That's what we do. That's one of our core values. As a, you know, organizational psychologist, I do take that piece, like, what what's what's the benefit like what's how's that serving the culture for whatever reason good or bad what like so you came in and you obviously saw that i'm constantly putting marketing under pressure what does that mean what does it mean for the organization let's get that out here <laughs> so i mean i think about that so just in terms of process the way that i think about this is like all right so i have some hypotheses like what does marketing represent like why what like what makes it easy for marketing to be the the butt of the joke, right? And then I kind of go through like thinking about data that supports that hypothesis and data that doesn't so that I can try and confirm this hypothesis. And, you know, I will also say the other thing too, it's really hard oftentimes, like I find myself having to come in and out of the organization. So at the end of the day, during the day that we're working, I'm like in the culture, I'm feeling part of the culture. But then at the end of the day, like just as an organizational psychologist who loves culture, I kind of want to put up a little boundary and analyze it from the outside. So that's always been a, a challenge of trying to internally change culture is because you're part of culture. So I think that's, you know, I, even my hypothesis would be a little bit biased there. I think Lauren knows that the marketing team edits our podcast. So she was probably oh, very, she's very so careful with it. that one. She didn't want to yeah, say yeah. that. And then when she needs marketing resources, then they're like, well, I remember episode number 67 when you <laughs> mentioned. More, minute 23 and a half, you'll notice that <laughs> I've been queued up. But, well, well, you know, and, and I, with everything you said, I, I really hope that you're not going to be in and out of the culture of the company and that you're in and you're in because you're bringing tremendous um, wealth of knowledge and the experience in this domain. This is exactly why I was so excited when you reached out and said, how can I fix uh, burnout in the veterinary domain? And I said, okay. Well, let's do it together. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And uh, and it's interesting how, you know, with your help and everybody else's, our two, we have two main, uh, main sort of directions. And I do want to split it in two because one is we're really, really striving to improve this uh, medicine and the experience. It's not about pets from that one angle. It's only about veterinarians are not being unhappy anymore. And what can we do to make them happy? And I hope that that stays true from this episode is document is going to be out there. And hopefully when three years down the road, someone reaches out and says, I'm going to remember in that episode, you said we'll be happy and we're not. I want this to be a reference point. And number two is that we want to provide the personalized access to care to the pets in need and when they need it. Because right now it's terrible out there. Lauren, you know you moved to LA and you couldn't find a vet for, what, three weeks out. So this is another thing that hopefully we stay true to. And hopefully you will help us carry this culture with every hospital that join us. And we can uh, actually um, convince them and, and, and change their culture into believing into our culture. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting ride. 
we've used up our, our time that we normally allot here. Uh, we do have our two questions that we ask at the end of each episode. So the first one is, is there a book that you would recommend that people should read to, to learn more about what you know or just enjoy or, or dive into? Yeah, I'm going to go with the latter. So I, I mean, I really like sci-fi and post-apocalyptic type of stories. So I'm a big fan and highly recommend Ready Player One. I just love all the creativity that went into the design in the universe and all the references to 80s culture. It's really, really, I think, like a work of art. So I always recommend that. Not a business book, just a really good, fun read. Sometimes you got to unplug. You do. I mean, burnout, burnout prevention, you know? There you go. Who should join us on the show or who's a, who's a fantastic person to continue learning more from? Yeah. I mean, look, if you want to talk more about culture, I would, I would definitely recommend, I don't know if you would even be interested, but Edgar Schein, like, I mean, be interested. That, would be, <laughs> that would be awesome. I mean, that's like a key person on culture. Well, perfect. Well, Lauren, thank you so much. This was spectacular. Really glad that we could have you on the show. I know there's going to be a lot more episodes that we're going to pull you into as well to learn more as we continue in this Galaxy Vets adventure. Lauren, you did great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com. 